everyone, I'm Trisha, and this is Kristen, and we're so glad that we get to be with you today. Whether you're new um, here in person or online, we would love to get you connected into the life of the church. And one of the best ways to do that is through our connection card. Yep, it sure is. And if you are new and here with us in person at CCC, please make sure to stop at our welcome desk. We would love to get to know you better. We also have a special gift from us to you. And if you're new online, you can click the new here button at the top of the page and we will make sure and respond to you and get you connected into the church. Sounds great. And ladies, guess what? We have some exciting events returning again this summer. And the first one is our Ladies' Night Out that's going to be on the fourth Tuesdays in May, June, July, and August. And this is just a really great time that we can join in fellowship as women, share a devotion, some yummy treats, and have a bonfire. Hey, bonfire. I love bonfires. Count me in, Kristen. Uh, The other thing that we are going to be doing is a women's prayer walk. And these are going to be held on the first and third Thursdays of June, July, and August. And so we're going to get together, walk outside in our neighborhoods, and pray for our church and pray for our community. Uh, We know that prayer is powerful, and we want to be a part of praying for our community. That sounds great, Trisha. And if you're looking for more details about any of these women's events, just head to our website on our women's page. We'd love for you to join us this summer. And now as we head into worship, um, just thinking about how generous and good our God is in his love towards us. And that's one of the reasons that we get to worship him and praise him today. So would you join with us? Hey, Christ community, how are you doing? Good to see you. Hey, if I haven't met you yet, my name's Daryl Holden. I'm one of the pastors here. Those of you here in person, those of you who are watching online, we're really glad that you're part of what's happening this weekend. Um, I just wanted to come out first and take a moment to thank you for your flexibility uh, this weekend. It has, um, you know, late week announcements from the governor kind of sent, everybody else gets the weekend to adjust and here we are as a church. So I, I've really appreciated um, your flexibility, not just this weekend, but through this last, well, since I got here last March, um, you have been flexible and generous. And um, I'm reading through the book of Acts right now, my own Bible reading time. One of the things that the Bible says about that first church is that they were together. It uses that word about them an awful lot of times. They were together. They were people from all over the globe. They had a hundred different opinions about a hundred different things, but when they, they were together in their faith in Jesus, their desire to worship him, and that's a beautiful thing about our church. And so that's, that's where we're committed to staying, and so I'm really glad that, that we're gonna do that. We're gonna continue to do that. As you know, these next couple of weeks, as these orders kind of work their way out and as we make our adjustments, There'll be a lot of communication coming towards you and we're gonna continue to flex and continue to do what we've done all along, which is love each other really well and to serve our neighbors all while we're honoring Jesus. So I'm very thankful that we get to do that. I'm Pastor Greg's preaching tonight. I'm really excited that you get to experience him this weekend. I just saw him back in the offices a few minutes ago. He's got 21 pages of notes. So good luck to us. You guys are watching online, you can fast forward. Um, no, it's, I'm just kidding. It's great stuff. Those of you, if you haven't heard Greg yet, I'm really excited for us to get to hear what the Lord has for us through him um, this weekend. And then in those of you who are in person, uh, we have baptisms after the service. So if you just wanna stick around, if you have kids back in Kid City, go get your kids and then come back. We have baptisms after service. Those of you guys who are part of the online church, 
Uh, you can catch that online on the website this week. We'll send you a notice when it's uh, ready to be viewed. But it's a beautiful thing that God is calling people to himself and they're taking steps of obedience and we get to be part of that this weekend too. So I wanna pray for us as the band gets ready to lead us in worship. But you guys who are here, please stand and let me pray for us. So Father, we are really grateful to be together. Thank you for your work in our lives. We come together this weekend to honor you, Lord Jesus. You're worthy of honor, you're worthy of glory, you're worthy of praise, you're worthy of our hearts, our souls, our minds, our strength. And so we wanna pour ourselves out to you in worship today. I pray that you would fill us with your spirit so that we can be empowered to honor you the way that you are worthy of being honored. And so we, we give you glory and um, Jesus, we're here because of what you have done for us. You have drawn us to yourself and you've drawn us to this place. And so we are very excited and very grateful for this chance we have to be together to honor you. So we pray these things in your name, amen. All right, we got a king of glory and we got freedom in his name. So let's worship him together today.
church, we're going to declare that chorus one more time. We have a king of glory. There's a God who saves, and we have hope in that name. Amen? All right, let's sing that out together today. There's the king of glory. There is a king of glory. There is a God who saves. The one who is strong and mighty. The freedom is in his name. Open the gates of heaven. Lift up a shout of praise. There is a lion roaring. Jesus, the king of glory. There is a lion roaring, Jesus, the King of glory. Let's give our God a hand of praise today. Are you thankful to stand in the love of our God today? And darkness tries to roll over my bones. Sorrow comes to steal the joy I want. Brokenness and pain is all I know. I won't be shaken. I won't be shaken. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love.
much for this wonderful time of worship. We pray that that continues throughout the rest of the service. And in Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. You may be seated. What a good-looking group of people. It's been a long time. And uh, some of you I talked to in the hall, and I would say, can you do this for me? Oh, yeah, I know who you are. And, um, but it's really good to see your faces. And I do have 21 pages. <laughs> but most of you know I have like 36 font, so I can read what I'm sharing with you. A century ago... There was a band of brave souls that became known as one-way missionaries. And they were called this because they would purchase a single ticket to the mission field without purchasing the return half. For them, it was a one-way trip. And, and get this, instead of packing suitcases for the trip, they would put all of their earthly belongings and what they thought they might need into a coffin. And as they sailed out of port, they would uh, wave goodbye to everyone that they loved. They said goodbye to everything that they, they knew. And they, they knew full well that they would never return home or see their loved ones again. They were 100% committed. And one of those guys was a guy by the name of A.W. Melny. And he set sail for Hubbardies. And it looks like Hybrides, but it's Hubbardies. And it's an island located in the South Pacific. And get this, Melanie was well aware of the fact that the headhunters who lived there on that island had murdered, martyred every missionary before him. I read that, I thought, he probably packed light. <laughs> probably left his hats at home, I don't know. But Milne did not fear for his life, you know? He didn't, not at all. And you say, why? Because Milne 
had already died to himself. I don't know what his life verse was, but it was probably something along the lines of Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. His coffin was packed, he set sail, he didn't look back. And he arrived safely. And he lived among that tribe and loved them dearly for 35 years. And when he died, the tribe talked it over and they wanted to honor him. And so they buried him in the middle of their village. And on his tombstone, they wrote these words. When he came, there was no light. And when he left, there was no darkness. You might say that Milne took all of his chips in the game and he pushed him into the middle of the table. He was all in. I was reading a book that I had read some time ago this week. I was looking for an illustration. And, and the author made a, an interesting statement. He said that most people in most churches today call themselves Christ followers. They think they're follow, following Jesus, but the truth is they have, in fact, invited Jesus to follow them. They wouldn't go anywhere without Jesus right there behind them. They want Jesus to make the journey with them and do life with them. Why? In order to bless the direction they are going, to guide them in order to reach their goals, to help their will be done on earth while they're here, before they go to heaven. Interesting thought. It was March of 1981. My wife Yvonne and I had been married for nearly a uh, three years, and Yvonne is a year older than me. She had finished college and gotten her degree, and she was already teaching in a nearby school district, and I was finishing up my senior year, and I just completed my student teaching practicum, and on the heels of that, I was offered a job to coach and teach, um, and, and that position that I was offered was in the same school Yvonne was teaching at, and that had been her dream all along. We wanted to be in the same school, see each other in the hall, maybe do lunch once in a while. We could ride back and forth to work, to be side by side working with students. That was our dream. And you might think that when she had that job and I was offered a contract in that same place that we'd be ecstatic, but, but we weren't. Things had changed for us. And perhaps I should say things changed in us. Because we got married, and we had three summers of interesting ministry experiences. In 1978, on June 3rd, we got married. Ten days later, we hopped in a van with four other students and traveled ten weeks throughout the Midwest doing 62 gigs in five states. Um, somebody says, yeah, like you would remember that. I didn't have to remember that because about three months ago, I found our tour. This is our 1978 tour through the Midwest. And the crazy thing is, I was looking through that, and on July 9th, 1978, we sang at Evangel United Methodist Church here in Rochester, Minnesota. I didn't know that. I know it now. And we had a great summer. 
did a lot of great things, met a lot of great people, and our job was to promote the school, but we kind of hijacked that, and we were actually sharing the gospel at camps and churches and, and retreats and outdoor concerts. It was great. In the summer of 1979, we accepted a position to do a summer internship working with a, a church and ministering to their junior high students, and it was absolutely great. We had just the best time. On the heels of that, they invited us to come back the following summer in 1980. We did, and those two ministry experiences significantly impacted us. So Yvonne and I were talking about the possibility of going into full-time ministry. Instead of playing it safe and taking the two jobs that we had on, in hand and on the table, we quit hedging our bets and we pushed all the chips into the middle of the table. And we decided that we would work with young people in the context of the church. And you might say, big honking deal, but it was a big deal for us. Because I want you to understand, that many Vaughn was going to leave her teaching job that she had just finished and that she enjoyed. And that meant wherever we landed, she had no guarantee that she would be getting a teaching job whoever that place was that we'd be serving. I was saying no to a job that was on the table, and my dream all along was to, to coach, to work with students. I wanted to coach college basketball. A friend of mine, my high school teammate, uh, is a guy by the name of Dayton Altman. You probably don't know the name, but he's the head coach for the Oregon Ducks. He made $8 million, uh, I think, this year. I didn't. And... Um, <laughs> But we said no to these jobs. We were going put to put, not do that, and then we were going to go into ministry. And I want you to know, we went and we interviewed at a church in Concordia, Kansas, and it, we, we, they offered us the job while we were there, and we said we would take it. And then we pulled back with, because the situation ended up that we could stay in the community we were in, where we were working for the church there, and they offered us a position to work with their students. Now, I share that with you because I want you to know, that sounds like a big deal. I mean, not like a big sacrifice. We were just dumb kids. We thought that was normal. When you follow God and he talks to you and you feel him taking you somewhere, you just go. And that's where we were at. Was that a hard decision? <laughs> yeah. Do we have regrets? Yeah. We've had regrets over the years. Second-guessed ourselves. We didn't realize it then, but at that point and at that moment, we were making a monumental shift. We were making the decision that we were all in. That was the moment. We didn't really know it at the time, but that was the moment that we stopped asking Jesus to follow us, and we were all in to follow him. And what we found out is the great adventure of following Jesus for us didn't start until we were both all in. Now, here's some questions as we begin. When it comes to you, who's following who? Are you following Jesus? I want to be careful with that. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just throwing it out there. Or have you inverted the gospel? Did you flip it up on top of its head and you invited Jesus to follow you? Have you packed your coffin? Are you holding chips back? So as we begin, 
we're, I want us to do something just a little different and, and to suggest something that I don't know if we've done here before, but in a moment, I'm going to ask you to ask you to place your hands like this on your quads, on your knee, and have palms up. By the way, if you've ever been fighting with somebody, this, did you know that if you put your palms up, it changes your attitude? It makes you more tender? Because you, it's weird to try to clench your fists in this position. But I'm going to ask you to do that, and there's going to be a prayer on the screen in just a moment. And I'm going to ask you to pray this for yourself, but I'm also going to ask you to pray it for those around you, and I'm going to ask you to pray it for our church. And to let God know that you are available, that you're all in. You're coming to him with an open mind and a willing heart and a blank sheet of paper that you signed your name on, and you're asking God, write it down what you want me to do. I'm leaning in, I'm listening. And this is the prayer. God, please bring me the people I need in order to serve you well. I'm gonna, we're gonna, I'm just gonna open up right now quietly. I want you to pray that prayer. Pray for those around you. Pray for our church. And then I'm gonna pray for a little bit too. Silently just pray. Father, there are people in this room who brought into this room with them stuff that's really heavy. They got stuff they're trying to work through, things they got to get done. Maybe there's a hurdle or a mountain coming around the corner and they don't know how to handle it. And we got things to do, places to go, people to see, and sometimes we come to this point a service like this and we're distracted and we, we're not really listening even though we're listening. And you said, he who has ears, let him hear. So God, we want you to speak to us in this time that we have together. We want to be available. We're listening. And we need a word from you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So Yvonne and I go into youth ministry. We didn't know Jack. We didn't know what we were doing. We just loved Jesus and loved kids. And God was good to us. And maybe it was because we were young or naive or just delusional, but from the get-go, we kind of were sold out. And we would go anywhere where God wanted us to go. And it makes me laugh when I tell you this, and, and it, just hang with me. We were paid nothing. I made $1,000 a month in my church. That's $30 a day if you do the math, all right? From my car, insurance, and rent, and utilities, that took about 75% of what I made, okay? And the next year, they gave me a raise, and you're thinking, that's good, Greg. That's $8.33 a month, okay? I just want you to know. But we were grateful, Okay? In this church where I started, there were no benefits. There was no such thing as a 401k opportunity. There was no health care at that little church. And again, I'm just saying this because we just thought that's part of going into ministry. 
all right? There, there was no such thing as a hospitality budget line where if you wanted, you could take kids out for Coke. Well, we couldn't take kids out for a Coke, let alone a meal. If we did, it was on our dime. And we were okay with that. There was no youth budget. We had to raise every penny for everything that we did. And you want to know, well, Greg, why are you telling us this? Because in a moment, we're gonna, we have this new thing at our church called the PGR Fund, which is the Pastor Greg Re uh, Retirement Fund, and we're going to give. <laughs> no, but you know, we were just so grateful. And we, we did what we loved, and we loved what we did, and we were so green in those early years. And God was so good. And one of the things that we learned at the front end and we're really grateful for is this. There's no such thing as lone rangers for God. Don't miss this. This thing called faith, this thing called the church, this thing called ministry is a team sport. And we believed it then and we are convinced of it now that ministry is relational. The importance of community and being connected cannot be uh, emphasized enough or overstated. See, we live in a world that for decades, maybe since the beginning of time, uh, has encouraged independence and individuality. We tend to applause those who pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and blaze a solitary trail and make it on their own their way. But as a Christ follower, as those who are following Christ, we have a different MO. We're about uh, making a difference in the world that we live. We're about being salt and light in our neighborhoods, our, our churches, our jobs, our communities, in our culture. We're about making a difference in our generation. We're about having spiritual influence in our little corner of the world. And to do that, and to do that well, we dare not go it alone. And what you need, what I need, what we need is a team of people around us. We need a clan, a community, a family, a faith-based huddle of like-minded people who believe in you, who have your back and are in your corner. And it is a non-negotiable if you are to survive, let alone thrive. It's a non-negotiable if you really are committed to be salt and light and to have influence in the world in which you live. Now I want to start out by making two big statements that will serve as you, if you please, as a, as a large umbrella for everything else we're going to talk about. So I want you to hear these words close, cl uh, closely, listen to this closely, and see if this is you. First of all, because of God's amazing grace and because God took the initiative to draw you to himself, because he pursued you through faith, which is not of yourself, but a gift of God, he embraced you as his beloved. And he did so not because he was so good, but because he was so great. And if that is true for you, then you gotta know one thing and one thing alone, for sure. You are a servant of the living God. That's, thank you, that's how it plays out. And that's the normal. You are a servant of the living God. Do you do that well? Sometimes and sometimes not so well. You're a work in progress. But your job description is that you're a servant. Never take your eyes off that fact. Always know who you are and whose you are. You are not a gift to God. God didn't look at that and go, golly gee, look at me, look what I got. That didn't, that's not, he, he values you as a treasure, but you're not a gift to him. 
You're not God's gift to the world. And some of us think that the world revolves around the axis of me. And it's a scary thing when we become the me monster. You are a servant. And to get this, this is so important. And because of that, that means you have no rights. You are not entitled. And your job description is to honor and to serve the one whom you have been called to. You're not, listen to this, take, don't, take, don't take this harsh. You're not the boss, you're not the CEO, you're not the chairman of the board, you're not in charge, you're not in control, you're not the president of the company. And you might be that at your job. And if that is true and you've earned that, that is awesome. But that pales in comparison to the big umbrella that overrides that, and that is that you're a servant of the living God. And if you're in a position of leadership, then you honor the people under you. And if you've got a job and you've got somebody over you, you honor them. That's how it works. The New Testament is filled with great verses on that. But don't lose sight of that ever. You're a servant. But secondly, this is the one that's weird for me. Um, be very wary of this word. Lord, a leader. In September of 2008, I received an email from a good friend of mine. He preached here a couple years ago. His name is Dan Webster. And he had written an article on the subject of leadership. And he shared this. Listen to this. If you Google, this is 2008. If you Google the word leader, you'll get over 300 million hits. And I was thinking of that when I was thinking of this message. And I thought, I wonder what's, what happens if I do that today. So I Googled it. That was 2008. I Googled the word leader. Guess how many hits I got in just 1.35 seconds? Almost 300 billion. And it seems to me in the church, there has been way too much emphasis on being a leader, on developing leaders, recruiting, hiring, having only leaders. And, here, and here's why that's really interesting to me. In the Bible, you will very rarely find the word leader. In fact, it only appears six times in the King James Version, for example. Three in the singular, three in the plural. Listen to what J. Oswald Sanders says. He's got a great book called Spiritual Leadership. It's a classic. But listen to what he says. In the light of the tremendous stress laid upon the leadership role in both secular and religious worlds, it is surprising to discover that in the King James Version of the Bible, the term appears only six times. That is not to say that the theme is prominent in the Bible, but is usually referred to in different terms, the most prominent being servant. If you go back to Joshua, God's talking about Moses. And he's, he doesn't say, Moses, my leader. He says, Moses, my servant. And he goes on to say, the emphasis is consistent with Christ's teaching on the subject. I believe it's fair and right to say biblically that leadership has a very unique synonym in the church. In the biblical context, in our walk with Christ, a very different word is used, and it's not leader, and this won't surprise you, it's the word servant. You've heard the phrase servant leader? That might be the most incredible, ultimate oxymoron. You might be quick to say, oh, whew, I'm glad, Greg, it's okay. I don't feel like I'm a leader and I have no desire to lead. Listen again to what Oswald Sanders says. Every Christian is under obligation to be the best they can be for God. If their leadership potential can be improved, they must do it. Because none of us knows what the future holds, we should prepare ourselves 
in every way possible for opportunities that may open up. And then this quote, not every Christian is called to a major leadership role, but all, all of you who call yourselves follower of Christ are leaders to the extent that your life influences others. Therefore, all of us can, if we will, increase our leadership potential. Let me take that word leader and then tweak it a smidgen. And I've shared a couple of these thoughts already before. Sociologists tell us the most introverted of people. How many of you are introverts? How many of you are extroverts? Introverts, pray for those of us who are extroverts. <laughs> they tell us the most introverted of people will influence, ready for this? 10,000 lives during their lifetime. That's the average. It's called the ripple effect. In other words, every one of us, even the shy ones, are influencing others. And he was a, this guy goes on to say, my question is, what breadth of influence could people have who become intentional about it? The word that I would use here is, is the word influence. No matter who you are, no matter what you do, your life influences others. So the question is not, do you have influence? The question is, what kind of influence are you? To the church, to the Christ follower, to lead is to influence and to serve. And Jesus exemplifies this in a passage that you are familiar with. He said this, do you understand what I've done for you? He just washed their feet. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I've done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. To lead is to serve. And to serve requires humility. That theme comes my way more times than I can count almost weekly. Humility is the great non-negotiable of biblical influence. It has been said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Romans 12, three, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought. Seven verses later, honor one another above yourselves. Daryl quoted uh, one of our favorite writers, A.W. Tozier last week. Here's another quote from him. The true leader will have no desire to lord over, but will be humble, gentle, self-sacrificing, and altogether is ready to follow as to lead when the Spirit makes it clear that a wiser and more gifted person than they are has appeared. So all the way back, God, surround me with the people I need to serve you well. Faith is a team sport, and we need all our players, and you need a team. So I'm gonna share five things with you just quickly. And some of them are short because they're obvious and easy. Number one, the first relationship you have to focus on is your relationship with Jesus. The psalmist said this, whom have I in heaven but you, and being with you I desire nothing on earth. And then it says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There's a great text in Acts 4.13, and the disciples are now standing in the front of those who just killed Jesus days before. Do they back down? Do they shrink back? 
Are they silenced? No. When they saw the curse, they spoke out and said, you guys killed Jesus. That's not a good thing. I mean, they got in their face and shared the truth with him. And then this verse, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. Let me ask you something. You ever feel uneducated? Ever feel ordinary? And they took note of what these men had been with Jesus. Folks, that's the difference maker. You gotta spend time with Jesus. Ron Jensen was a guy who traveled throughout the United States. He was working on his, his PhD, his dissertation. He interviewed 200 pastors and leaders in churches all across this country. Listen to what he says to conclude his paper. I saw a great deal of zeal for God's work, but very little passion for God. Drive your stake to the ground, hold fast to Jesus. Because that's your life, and that's who you serve. And then pray for a discernment to recognize this second one that's so key. Your choice in the spouse. When I was a senior in high school, we had a, a guy come to our church. His name was John uh, Burnham. And he, he put on the family, <laughs> put on the family uh, uh, conference for us. And he was talking to us young people who, who were in high school and college that weren't married yet. And he said, you need to take time to pray for the one that you marry. Because that's going to have a huge influence on your life, especially if you're thinking about ministry. And he shared about one kid who took a, a, a girl's bikini and put it at the end of his bed and prayed God would fill it. Now, <laughs> that's, that's application. I got, and, I, and I, I started praying my senior year. I got engaged at 18 years old. Man, that was a fast answer to prayer. And I got married at 19. And you'll say, why? Because I was smart enough to know that if I waited too long, she'd get to know me and say no. So. <laughs> but I want you to know, I know people that, I've met so many people over the years who God could have used significantly, and they were leaning into ministry. And then they chose a mate who didn't want that journey. And they're doing other things. They still love Jesus. I want you to understand that. I want you to know you need to choose a good mate. I was fortunate. Number three, pray for a team of men. If you're a guy, pray for a team of women. If you're a lady who will be there for you. You need a solid group of people who are absolutely committed to you. Those who are going to be there through thick and thin, through the good times and bad. I love this verse out of Ecclesiastes 4. An enemy might be able to defeat one person, but two people can stand back to back to defend each other. I've been so fortunate in my life to have those kind of guys in my life. And three people are even stronger. They're like a rope that has three parts wrapped together. It's very hard to break. Folks, be very careful. Whatever job that you have, wherever you live, because sometimes you're going to have difficulty recognizing those you need to be close to and those you need to keep distance from. Sometimes in life, it's hard to tell the difference between friend and foe. I have a story for you. For some of you, it will be offensive, okay? I, I'm just guessing. I've never shared this here. I've wanted to for so long, and 
Maybe this is my swan song, but here it goes. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a little bird that was caught in a terrible blizzard. The snow was awfully wet and so very heavy that he could not fly. And on top of that, it was so cold, he was sure he would surely die. So in desperation, he began to cry. Chirp, 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 chirp. And the cow heard his cry and came to his side. And, and she saw that the little bird was so very cold. But what could she do? For he, she was so big and he was so small. Finally, she turned her back on the bird, an idea she had. But this scared the wee little bird and made him so sad. He thought she was leaving and he would be all alone. The thought of it made him weep and moan. And he began to chirp loudly, chirp, 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 chirp. But the cow was not leaving, far from being so. She decided to do what she decided to do, the bird, little bird didn't know. She turned, him, turned her back on him to help him the only way she could. And so she did what she could do. She pooped on him. <laughs> well, the little bird was now warm for sure, but it wasn't so pleasant. He was no longer cold, but the smell was so terribly bad. So he did the only thing he could do. He began to chirp loud and long. Chirp, 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 chirp. Chirp, 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 chirp. A passing wolf heard his cry and immediately came to his aid. He licked him clean and washed him up. And this made the bird so happy he sang. Then the wolf ate him. Now, <laughs> these three morals from this story will make so much sense to you if you've not heard this story. Number one, not everyone who poops on you is your enemy. Number two, not everyone who pulls you out of the poop is your friend. And number three, if you're up to your armpits and poop, don't chirp about it. Now, <laughs> a lot of truth in that little story. We all need people, the right people around us. We all need Jonathans, and I wish I could take time to go there, but we can't. But Jonathan was there for David, and when he met David, they were one in spirit. And Jonathan was the next one to be on the throne. His dad, Saul, was king. But he says to David, you're a better man than I. I will be second to you in command. And he gives him, not leftovers, but the stuff that he wore in battle, the very best and the finest. No leftovers. And at one point, when David is a fugitive for his life from Saul, which is Jonathan's dad, it says that Jonathan sought him out and encouraged him in the Lord. You need Jonathans. You need Nathans who get in your face and say you are that man or you are that woman. It's the person who tell you the hard truth about yourself even when you don't want to hear it. But it'll keep you on the right path. And they do so because they believe in the best of you and they want the best for you. And you need prayer warriors. Those you can contact and call and say, will you pray for me? I'm in a tough place. I can't tell you the details. And I love 1 Samuel 12, 23, where it says, as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. You need those people in your corner. And I want you to know, not only do you need those people, you need to be those kind of people for others. Number four, find a good church community. A church that's missional, that pushes you out of the comfort of the pew and into the cesspool of humanity. 
Don't lose sight of the fact that the game is not here. This is not what makes us. What ma- this is the huddle. And we break huddle and we go out to the world to serve the world that God has called us to reach and to influence. We work on our game plan, but we, we strap them up and tie them up. The game is out there. And note this, things will go differently than you expect, but trust God anyway. And then finally, this is key and I'm done. Do not minimize or underestimate the length of your reach. I wanna tell you about a guy that I I heard about. His name was Peyton. And Peyton was a high school principal and he was actually a superintendent back in the day when they were both, you know. And he did his job, he did it well. He was tough on the kids, but they respected him. But in 1941, Peyton went to a church meeting and God rang his bell. And he was absolutely a changed man. And he sold himself out to ministry. And at the end of the school year, he went into the ministry. Okay? Well, I want you to let me tell this a little bit. So Peyton, Peyton had a son. And his son's name was Weldon. And his son was a piece of work, I guess, back in the day. And he was working for AC Spark Plug. And it wasn't, it wasn't pushing adrenaline through his veins. He was struggling. He was, he was just married. He had a couple of kids. And God rang his bell. And he took the call and went into ministry. So Peyton's son, Weldon, went, went into the ministry. Weldon had a son. And that son went into the ministry. And he was not easy to work with. But one day, somebody shared the gospel with him. And he connected the dots. And he gave his life to Christ. And he went into ministry. And his name was LG. And LG had a son. And that son, at an early age, gave his life to Christ. And when the time came, he sold himself out to share the gospel with others. Now I want you to look at this slide. Peyton is my grandfather. Weldon is my dad. LG was my nickname. And Aaron is my son. That's four generations. I don't think my grandfather ever set out even having that thought or that dream that, that his son would go into ministry, but it happened. And I know my dad never thought I would go into ministry, but it happened. And I tried to talk my son out of it, but he went in anyway. Peyton was in the ministry 37, Weldon 60. I've been 40 this month, and my son Aaron's been in 19. Peyton, because he sold out, had 156 years of ministry underneath him. If you add my two brothers, my brother-in-law, my uncle, my cousin, my son, Josh, that's another 134 years. Peyton, because he said yes to Jesus, has 290 years in his family tree of people sold out to share the gospel. And I'm going to be really honest. I'm a weakling in that chain. And I'm humbled by it. Don't underestimate your reach, your influence. And maybe it's not going well for you now. And maybe it's an uphill battle. And maybe you feel like you've caved in and you've not sold out. You gave up. 
don't underestimate the influence you have. And it might not be your kids, it might not be your family, but it might be your neighbor, your fellow worker, your teammate, your, the person you share a cubicle with, that you get to share Christ with, and it changes the trajectory of generation. You have influence. Whether you want it or not, but what happens if you leverage it for the kingdom? Let's pray. Father, um, I'm humbled that you would pursue me, that you would work on that you pursued us. We brought nothing to the table, but we didn't need to because everything we needed, you gave us through faith in you. We are so thankful and we are so grateful. But you did not change our lives so that we could just live a good life. You changed our life that we might live a life that could influence others because of the change you made in us. Father, we're available. Help us to see the opportunities and help us to be sold out to you. And I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Good to see you guys. Hang around if you wanna see some people who are choosing to be all in in the baptism service. Thank you for being here. Make your influence count. Have a good weekend.